This is the Dynasty Warzone, the People's Dynasty Podcast, and here are your hosts, Memphis at DFF Memphis and Jerry at Jerry Sin DFF. What's happening, guys? It's Memphis. Welcome to the Dynasty Warzone. That's the People's Dynasty Podcast, and it is Wednesday, and it's not just any ordinary Wednesday. It's a Waldman Wednesday, as in Matt Waldman of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. He's going to be joining us here in just a little bit. Uh, but I want to remind you that we are the flagship podcast of the DynastyFootballFactory.com, and we are proud members of the Dynasty Football Network at DF underscore network on the Twitter machine. You can find uh, tons of great podcasts over there. I believe there's seven, seven or eight, something like that. Um, but they're all great. And we're also on Clipcast. Clipcast is a podcast search engine. All you got to do is go to their Twitter, Twitter handle at clip underscore cast. And in their uh, bio, there's a link that takes you to the search engine. And maybe you just want to hear Jerry and I talk about Kelvin Harmon. Or maybe you want to hear things on Josh Jacobs. Who knows? Or maybe it's a veteran. Um, Antonio Brown's always in the news. I mean, death taxes Antonio Brown in the news. That's what he does for us. So head on over to Clipcast. Check us out. And not only will you hear Jerry and I, but you'll hear tons of amazing podcasts. Um, Dynasty Trades HQ. The Dynasty Happy Hour. Uh, the GoatCast. And, and so many more. So head on over there. Check out Clip underscore cast. And they'll hook you up. But without any further ado, I must bring in, you know him as the man of the hour, the man with the power at Jerry Sin DFF. Jerry, what's going on tonight? Randy, my man. Again, love it every time. Listen, I'm excited. Combines this week. Combine? I'm going on Saturday. That's cool. Never done that before. So I'm excited for that. Uh, Matt Waldman. Matt frickin' Waldman. I've so heard of, I've heard that's of him. That's awesome. Yeah, so it, when you fanboy in the chat because you've been watching Matt Waldman videos for as long as you've been playing, you know, fantasy football, and then you get to talk to him, gets me gets me a little fanboyish. So I'm excited. Uh, I believe we'll cover this in the interview, but I think this is the 15th year of the rookie scouting portfolio, and you can pre-order that right now. Uh, it releases on April 1st. So lots of good stuff to come from Matt. Um, we talked for about 40 minutes, and we'll have that here right after the news. But, um, Jerry, do you know why I give so many so many Twitter handles? Do you have, you have any clue? No, you let me know. Uh, well, the reason why is that that's the best way to get a lot of the content from the people, including you and I, um, is on Twitter. You know, we answer a lot of trade polls. We answer a lot of questions. Um, sometimes it's just random nonsense. We can have an out-and-out GIF war if that's what you're into. I mean, I'm down. You down? Oh, yeah. And, I mean, the Girl Scout cookie battle of 2019 oh, was pretty pretty oh awesome God. this last couple weeks or so. I, I, I felt like it was the Bloods and the Crips. Um, a lot of uh, turf war. Uh, people were... Well, were, Addison Hayes likes... I mean, those are shortbread cookies. I mean, who thinks those are the best Girl Scout cookies? Come the, on, The man. worst. I'm, I'm Team Samoa. You can add... Uh, also, can, that's because we're sane humans. That, that's right. I, I like coconut, you know. Um, uh, but, but you know, here's the thing. Girl Scout cookies, I, I challenge you to find a bad one. They're all that's pretty fair. good. I mean, that's fair. The, my, my only thing with the Girl Scout is, you know, if the Girl Scouts come to my front door, I'm buying. Five bucks a box, don't care. It's not about the money. I support the hustle because uh, Jerry and I are out here hustling ourselves. So we get it. But uh, what I don't like is when I go to my friendly neighborhood grocery store 
and I just want to get some produce or maybe some lunch meat or whatever the hell my wife told me to pick up that day. And there they are in full regalia. They are the Girl Scout Mafia. And it's like, they're not asking you. They're telling you. They're like, so which cookies do you want? I'm like, no, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, no, I, I'm, I'm good. I, 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 I bought some from my neighbor. And they're like, no, no, no. It's like Tony Soprano's like over there. Like, no, which ones do you want? <laughs> so so I've, I've had to get hip, man. I got to go to the grocery store like at 10 o'clock at night when these little savages are in bed. But uh, Jerry, you ready to talk about a little bit of uh, Dynasty Fantasy Football? We can do that. All right, man. Let's get into a little bit of news. This is the news. All right. So our first piece of news is uh, everybody's favorite, the blonde mustached. Death taxes and Antonio Brown. Death taxes and Mr. Big Chest. Call me Mr. Big Chest. Allegedly, up to three teams have inquired about Mr. Big Chest since it came out last week that... uh. You know, the Steelers owner, Art Rudy, has uh, agreed with Antonio that it's time for a trade. Although, allegedly, I guess to use that word because I wasn't in the room, but they haven't given him and him or his agent, Drew Rosenhaus, the opportunity to shop deals. So, uh, Jerry, what are you doing? Well, let me ask you this first. What are you, where do you think is a realistic landing spot for AB? And where, uh, and what are you doing with him? Are you buying? You looking to buy low? You selling? What are you doing with uh, Mr. Big Chest? So with Mr. Big Chest, I really, really thought the Colts were going to go for Le'Veon Bell, and I just don't see that anymore. Marlon Mack was good. He shut me up. He looks good, but they still got money to spend. I'm going to go with your Colts, and I would love it so much if he went to the Colts. Uh, if he does, I would be so happy dynasty wise and as a fan with Andrew Luck throwing to TY and AB. But as of now, where he is in flux, I think I am still buying. I don't think his price has regressed much. I think, you know, people are saying buy low because they don't know where to go. It when it actually comes to trading him, I don't know if his value has dipped that much, but I think it has a little. So I would still buy him because I think he's going to be productive wherever the man goes because he he just has a skill set that can beat the man in front of him and any bad quarterback can get him the ball and if he lands in a spot with a good quarterback he's going to eat just like he did in Pittsburgh it's weird because people I'm like if you search Antonio Brown Colts on Twitter you'll see a lot of people you know saying Antonio Brown to the Colts and it makes sense and they've got the money but as a Colts fan, I can tell you this. A, Chris Ballard has never been huge in the secondary player market. He does a lot of this through the draft, and, and the free agents that he has acquired have not been the big name. I think Eric Ebron was the biggest quote-unquote splurge pick that he's made, and he's already said publicly that he didn't think Antonio Brown uh, was a good fit for the team. Now, that doesn't mean that he couldn't lie. This is the NFL. Everyone lies. <laughs> True. But, but uh, the, the place that I most likely see him, because it makes the most sense, is the Oakland Raiders. The Oakland Raiders have the cap space because they traded away all their good picks. Oh, no, excuse me, not good picks. Excuse me. They traded away all their good players for picks. So, uh, you know, they've got three first-rounders. They've got um, a high early second. So they've got the picks, they've got the capital, and here's the thing, they're a team moving to Las Vegas in 2020, and they're going to need impact splash type players to, you know, 
sell PSLs and put butts in the seats, if you will. So to me, and, and John Gruden likes old players. I could literally see where they turn them into the instead of the black and uh, the black and gold of Pittsburgh, the black and silver of the Raiders, and they could sign Antonio Brown in free agency and bring, uh, excuse me, Antonio Brown in via trade, and then Le'Veon Bell in via free agency. So that's where I see. And as far as his dynasty value, I mean, search for him on Twitter, like from a trade standpoint, and you'll see some crazy things. There are owners jumping off bridges out there over this guy. So um, I'm not actively shopping, but. If you have a nervous Nelly in your league and he wants to move Antonio Brown on the cheap and I'm even a moderate contender, and by that did I finish in the you know the last four teams of 2018, I'm in there like swimwear. I'm all about that action, boss. So um, if I can get him at the right price, but remember, he's like going to be a 31-year-old wide receiver, which I think he can play pretty pretty well. I would, my, my opinion is about 34, 35. So you're going to get good use out of him. I just don't want to go crazy if I don't have a realistic shot of winning. And speaking of Lev Bell, Jerry, he's not going to be tagged in any form or fashion this year. He is going to be that free agent that I think uh, Oakland could sign. But it's been rumored that he ballooned up to a hefty, a rotund, a Kelvin Benjamin-esque 260 pounds this offseason. That's allegedly. Where, where do you realistically see him landing, and are you buying or selling Mr. Bell? I'm always buying Le'Veon Bell, but that's because he's my favorite player in the league. You know, I mean, Spartan dog. Come on, Randy. I got some bias. And, you know, he played his rookie year at 260 pounds. He played three years at Michigan State at 260 pounds. The dude is violent. So if he's going to be violent, that's fine. Uh, where do I realistically see him landing? So we were on the Rookie Fever podcast a few weeks ago. And Jason Waltner from Capology 101 on the Dia Dynasty Football Factory Network said that it made perfect sense that he would go to the Houston Texans. And he actually just released an awesome article saying the exact same thing. And for all the reasons why that I am not smart enough to give you, but you should read that at DFFJ Waltner. So I'm going to go with the Houston Texans. I am sort of a Lamar Miller guy, so it sort of hurts my soul a little bit. But he's not sexy. You know, Le'Veon Bell is sexy. And you've got DeAndre Hopkins and you've got Deshaun Watson. If you add Le'Veon Bell and you still have Miller or you flip him, I mean, that's a good offense. And, you know, that's not fun for your Colts. But, oh, my God, could you imagine? That's a young core, too. Le'Veon Bell's, what, 27, I think? And he's probably the old Uh, man of that group. Not quite. Not quite 27. So, I mean... That's, I mean, they've got a three or four year window there where they could be legitimate Super Bowl contenders. And I really think they would love that. And if they got the money to do it, do it. I don't know uh, if they have the money. I know they've uh, got Jadavion Clowney. They've, they've got, you know, to wrap up. But the, the team that still makes the most sense, and I was the, I'm the one who thinks that the, the New York Jets leaked that rumor about him being out of shape and ballooning up Kelvin Benjamin style uh, in the offseason was them to try to attempt to drive the price down a little bit. The best way to make Sam Darnold, you know, make his life a little bit easier is give him weapons. Now, everybody who listens to this podcast knows I'm a Robbie Anderson fan, uh, and I don't hate Chris Herndon either. But I like Quincy Anunua, but he's going to give you five. Count them, one, two, three, four, five solid games a year before he gets hurt. (laughs) You ain't kidding. You ain't kidding, though. uh, And and they, they need solid other weapons around him. So I'm hoping uh, as a Sam Darnold fan and to keep him away from my Colts, uh, 
that he winds up in the New York Jets. As far as buying or selling, I'm I'm holding to, to selling. I'm hoping I'm waiting for this. Uh, I think this is your last big cash out. And, yeah, if and, I have him, I do think I am selling. But if I don't, I'm still buying. So I have a weird situation with that, apparently. It, it's weird to give it, but in a vacuum, um, you know, I, I would much rather have him off my team and the assets that he can still fetch at his current age and what I think his current production is. And like I've always said a million times, I, I'm, I'm going to sell on the upswing. So the minute he signs on a team that we all perceive to be good, he gone. He off my roster and he's moving on down the road. I'll tell you who's not going to be gone, though. And that's Adam Thielen. Looks like him and the Vikings are working on a new contract to get this man paid a little bit more than the, uh, I think it's $6 bucks he's due to make in 2019. And a guy that, that plays at the level of Adam Thielen deserves a little bit more than uh, $6 bucks. Jerry, you a Thielen guy? Uh, always. Always. I love Adam Thielen. And I like, listen, I like Kirk Cousins. And you know what Kirk Cousins likes to do? He likes to just give his receivers a chance to make a play. And Adam Thielen makes plays, man. That's a, I, I could watch that guy all the time. I mean, he he destroys the lines, but whatever. I'm used to teams destroying the lines. It's nothing new. But it, while everyone's been on the Stefan Diggs is the GOAT sort of hype train, I've always stuck with Adam Thielen just because, honestly, I think he's the better player. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Thielen, the player, and what he gives you in the actual NFL. Uh, his big dip in production over the last half of last year when John Filippo was gone uh, was like an eyebrow firmly raised. I'm not saying he's a hard sell, but much like Le'Veon Bell, I think he turns either 28 or 29 this year, which is by no means a death sentence for a wide receiver, especially one that plays the game of Adam Thielen. But if I could get out for what his current value is, and that's a, a multiple. Like a third round startup, second round yeah, startup. Yeah, that's where he's going. I think in the, in the latest DLF uh, mock drafts, he's going somewhere in the third. So if I can get third round startup value for him, he also gone. Because I, I, don't, I think that's fair. I don't, I don't trust this offense. I don't trust that Diggs can't take over. Um, and they want to run the ball. Run the ball, run the ball. And look at the defenses, you know. Um, the Bears have got a really good defense in that league. I guess they have the other, not in the, that league, that division. Um, and they've got the other good defense. So your your Lions aren't very good. Sorry. Nope. Nope. We're going to talk about a Lion here in a minute, but I, I do have uh, one more one more uh, bit of news. Devontae, Actually, real quick, if sure. I'm a championship contender, mm-hmm. I think I would try to acquire Adam Thielen. I, I, I think he's one of those guys you can sell your late first and a, a tier or two below wide receiver and try and you know get Adam Thielen maybe. I would love to move Adam Thielen and the guy we're getting ready to talk about. Uh, I'm sorry, move my 2019 first and the guy we're getting ready to talk about for Adam Thielen if I could get someone to bite. Because I think Adam Thielen has got two solid years of borderline wide receiver one upside in 19 and 20, and that's Devontae Parker. He is likely out the door in Miami. Um, I, is he a bust? And and, and before you tell me that, uh, Danny, and, uh, yeah, Danny Amendola, is iffy to remain in Miami. So if both of these gone, both of these guys are gone in Miami, what what are you doing? Are you interested in Parker? If you have him, are you waiting to sell? What are you doing? I think if you have Devontae Parker, the moment he's on another team and it's not an elite level team, I am flipping that dude so fast. But I yeah, I, Danny Amendola, sorry. I'm I'm not interested in Danny Amendola. He's whenever he is fantasy relevant, it's for 3 games. And I'm I'm good on that. I don't I can find someone in free agency that can do that for a week. But 
Parker, listen, I mean, if he ends up, you know, maybe you talk about the Colts not signing sexy guys. That's not a guy that's super sexy, but people would be pretty excited about him. You know, I, I, his value will jump because Miami is a dumpster fire. They have not been good. That offense has been doo-doo. And if he does go somewhere that's, you know, a little flashier, you may be able to make quite a bit of profit on him. And, and that's kind of where I'm at. For, for whatever reason, even in the orphans that I've inherited this year, I, I wind up with Devontae Parker everywhere. So I'm hoping that he does land in a really good spot. And I'll probably move off of a couple of shares. That's the best part about free agency coming before your rookie drafts, at least they should, is that you can get a chance to, if you've been sitting as a, the, the person who maybe drafted Devontae Parker or you traded high for him, here might be your chance at a cash out. And it may be only a mid-second if he lands with a team like the Colts or the 49ers or any situation that we perceive to be good. But I am going to hang on to at least one share out there because he was a talented guy. His player profiler card was pretty sexy, for, for, for lack of a better term. He had a player comp to A.J. Green. Now, he's a little lazy, if you read that. But hopefully, he sees this as his last chance in the NFL and makes the most of it. But that's enough talk on one Dynasty show for Devontae Parker. And as far as Amendola, I think he sticks around. Their new head coach came from the Patriots staff. Amendola was a former Patriot. I think Amendola, Albert Wilson, and probably a rookie get the – oh, Kenny Stills. I forgot about Stills. That, that, that'll be the, the wide receiver core in Miami for 2019. So, Jerry, I'm going to hit you with some quick hitters. And quick hitters sure. means – because uh, we're, we're delaying these people from hearing the, the genius of Matt Waldman. The Lions don't plan on re-signing LeGarrette Blunt. Hallelujah. How, how good is this for your boy, KJ? I think it's good, but they're going to either sign somebody or draft somebody in the later rounds. So they're, they're not just going to go full-on carry-on. I just I can't see that happening. But it, it is good because LeGarrette Blunt was sort of that hammer, and I think the guy they signed probably won't be, especially if they don't sign anybody and they go – through the draft, then I think he'll get the lion's share, pun intended. I see what you did so, there. So it's, I mean, we're going to talk about, you know, I'm just going to lump Carlos Hyde into it right now because you wanted a quick hit. So he's expected to be cut in Jacksonville. Um, I could really see the Lions signing him. It just, you know, he's, he's seen that he can take a step back if he needs to. He shouldn't be super expensive. He's also productive and can do everything that they want. So I really sort of think that's the case, in which case that would sort of suck for carry-on and suck a lot for Carlos Hyde. Um, so if, so here's the thing. I'm just going to lump Carlos Hyde into this because we're doing buying or selling. I would be selling Carlos Hyde. I don't think there's a situation that's going to happen where he will be super relevant in any situation, unless maybe New Orleans. Maybe he's the Mark Ingram replacement. Is that crazy? Well, it's not crazy. I, I think that uh, the Lions will keep it cheap and bring in a rookie. And you may not like this, but like a guy like Benny Snell from Kentucky, I don't, I don't think would be a horrible, horrible fit with... Uh, no, a, a good LeGarrette Blunt sort of guy, too. Yeah, uh, you know, or... or Latavius Murray, who's going to be a free agent this year. So um, those are guys that I like. Uh, of course, I love it for Carrion Johnson. Um, he needs to be a bell cow. My only fear is that he's ended the last couple of seasons with surgeries, and I'm, I'm not a fan. Um, actually, I don't know if he had actual surgery, but I know he, he missed the rest of 2018 with a knee issue. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. And, and, and this year, I just, 
Listen, he had an MCL. Is that what it and was? And that's a yeah, two to three week an MCL strain, excuse me, which is like a two to three week injury for most. And he was out like eight weeks. So I really and they shut down Marvin Jones. They traded Golden Tate. That was Bob Quinn's way of saying, listen, we're tanking without actually tanking. So I, I think carry on's fine. I think they sort of knew that season was down the drain and they just wanted to play it safe because they went, okay, this guy has the goods. Let's keep him safe. He is banged up. We'll just, we'll let it go. All right. So you already quick hit Carlos Hyde. Yeah, he's trash. He's done. Um, if, if you have him and he signs in a spot that you, you deem beneficial, sell him to the first sucker that'll take him. I take yeah. a third, I take a mid third or better for him uh and just move on unless he goes to new orleans i'd take a little more because i think people will think he's gonna do better i don't actually think he will if you can spin that narrative spin away uh tyler eifert looking okay in rehab videos he's a guy that uh he may still have some value in tight end premium leagues i'm in a league where we get a point and a half per reception for tight ends and we must start two so a guy like that has value in a league like that but like in a one tight end league i'd much rather throw a dart at Herndon or someone like that. You agree? Yep, I agree. And well, I love Tyler Eifert, too. I do, too. He, Notre Dame guy, Indiana boy, but he's on that Quincy and Nunwa health program, which does not bode well for anyone. Um, last guy, Josh Hill is expected to be the tight end in uh, New Orleans. Now, Jerry, where have we heard this lie before? <laughs> uh, every time. Every time. And Michael Crabtree got cut. You, uh, you waiting for him to sign and sell? No. I mean, if you can get anything for him, good on you. Yeah, I'm same boat. I'm waiting for him to sign somewhere. Hopefully it's got a little bit of a positive spin you can put on it and uh, move his ass on down the road. So listen, that, that is the news. Um, we thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe if you haven't already, if you're just tuning in to Waldman. We do all kinds of nonsense like this every single week, but we have amazing guests. I mean, Matt is is a great get for our show. But we've had great guests for the better part of the last six weeks. I mean, we had the fellas. We had Kyle twice. We had Nick Whalen, Travis May, Andrew Harbaugh. Who am I met? Oh, uh, Shane and Dabari. I mean, Jay Mike Check from the Open Bar. Jay Mike Check from the Open Bar. I mean, and, and it gets even better. So um, hard to get better than Matt Waldman, but we've got a couple of uh, great guests for you next week. But, uh, Jerry, let's bring on Mr. Waldman. Let's do it. Thank God. All right, joining us this week on the Dynasty War Zone. This man really needs no introduction, but we're going to give him one anyway. He is a senior staff writer for the football guys, but you're probably knowing more from his work with the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. It's an amazing document that drops every year around this time, usually within the next month, give or take. Uh, he'll tell us all about that. And he's also the host of a podcast. If you're not listening to that podcast, the Rookie scouting portfolio podcast with matt waldman welcome back to the dynasty war zone matt waldman how are you tonight i'm doing well thanks for having me back oh it's uh we're super excited we are uh some dynasty and draft nerds so uh couldn't wait to get you back on uh i'll introduce you to my my new co-host jerry jerry introduce yourself jerry uh i am just here to pick your brain it's like i say to every guest that comes on (laughs) you do the work for me and i reap the benefits Oh, I see. Okay, that sounds good. At first, I felt like I was on an operating table looking up, and you know, <laughs> I'm here to pick your brain. So. Yeah, you, you got to watch Jerry. Jerry is the show scribe, so we've uh, we've been on a great run of some great Devi and Dynasty 
minds with a with a lean toward the college. Uh, Nick Whalen, who I believe is a, a, a friend, and, a oh, tra- yeah. and Travis May. So yeah. you are helping Jerry and I continue our uh, rookie scouting going into 2019. So before we get into our questions about this year's class, what can you tell us about your 2019 rookie scouting portfolio? When's it dropping? And then tell us about your podcast. Sure. Um, the rookie scouting portfolio has been around since 2006. Um, comes out every April 1st and should be scheduled to do that as well. Um, it is really delivered in two parts. The April 1st document is a pre-draft publication that looks at the talent and examines it in a variety of different ways, regardless of where they actually landed. And I actually prefer that as the long-term dynasty document, though most um newer dynasty people or people who are really big on fit and situation short term tend to like the second part, which comes out a week after the NFL draft that gives you some ADP versus RSP ranking information that helps you kind of find the sweet spot between where everyone's picking players and where I would recommend them to go so that you can maximize their value. Um, But you get rankings, you get get a really a look of an in-depth look into an evaluation process that is based on um, best practices used in a variety of different industries and applied towards um, rating talent. And so some of the things that are, one of the things that's going to be new this year, because I'm always, um, I'm always updating and looking at how things go in terms of with my rankings process, at least to a level of, I try to tweak it every two to three years, not really consciously try to tweak it. But what I try to do is things that I learn, I try to apply to, how I'm how I'm ranking within the framework of what I do. The framework doesn't change significantly. It's just a matter of um, how would I best put it, improving the accuracy of what you're defining. So um, anyway, one of the things that I'm doing this year that is new is I'm going to be sharing some of my charting of quarterbacks with people. So you're going to get a chance to see, um, you know, a variety of different charting data that's going to go along with the film study. So that you can kind of see, you know, the difference of breakdowns between range of accuracy with different types of accuracy in terms of whether it's pinpoint or whether it's something that, you know, requires the receiver to work for the ball and also different areas of the field in terms of where they're targeting, as well as different types of throws in terms of under pressure, not under pressure or um, off script types of plays. So that's what's that's some of the things that. RSP subscribers are going to get, and along with that publication, you get a um, newsletter that comes out monthly from June through December if you're a subscriber, so you get updates with the rankings. Um, and I include a couple times a year a rankings update of the past three classes, so it gives you a really nice look and through my lens of how I um, how I view some of these players after they've been in the league for a year or two. Um, so. Those are the, that's what's going on, and then you have the podcast, which has a ton of featured guests. Usually, it's not so fantasy oriented. I let you guys figure out the fantasy implication with it. But who I mostly bring on are, um, you know, either how would I best put this? Guys who are consultants um, to some level, people who specialize in scouting, who do a lot of an, um, analysis of film study, as well as people who have either played the game at a high level um, or coached the game at a pretty high level to talk about the craft of evaluation. And some of them are solo shows where I'm just sharing my process um, Some and players through that lens. And some of them are, 
are more, you know, guest oriented. You know, things can range from having like a quarterbacks coach who's worked with division one college players to guys who are, um, you know, maybe fantasy writers, but in their day gig, they do counseling for, you know, people who have committed abuse and who have done violent crimes and have had to work with people like that and giving their insights on how we look at things like the Kareem Hunt signing or drug abuse, like the Josh Gordon signings and trades and things like that to give you some sort of nuance and context to, to those types of topics that you don't always see in big media. Well, I do remember the Josh Gordon podcast earlier uh, during the regular season, but you recently had on Mark Schofield, and you guys did some difficult quarterback evaluations. That's the most recent episode of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio podcast. It dropped this past Saturday, and you can find that on iTunes, Stitcher, I'm sure all the normal pod mediums. But our first question, our, our QB question is, who is your favorite QB in this class before the landing spots are known? And can a landing spot bump one QB ahead of this person if they land in the right spot? Yeah. In fact, I think based on where I'm, where I've graded players right now, there are three quarterbacks that I think landing spot would make a difference for um, in terms of where I would rank them, because I think they're all clustered in the same range. Um, so the guy that I like the most in terms of where I think landing spot would help him and also regardless of grade, but just who I like the most is Will Greer out of West Virginia. Um, you know, I, I like guys like Haskins and Murray, but I think that a lot of people are down on Will Greer because he didn't have the spectacular senior bowl. And he had a first day where people kind of banged on his accuracy, but about I'd say 80% of the people who were at the senior bowl didn't watch the tape. They actually just observed the practice um, while they were networking and talking and and trying to watch for, oh, I don't know, another, you know, 44, you know, 44 to 50 players, <laughs> you know, at different times throughout the day. So they may not always be studying the film. I can tell you, I, I definitely studied each practice each night um, on tape to, to tell you that Will Greer didn't have as bad of a week as it looked. He's very good at being able to throw um, – to create windows uh, to, to be able to deliver to guys in, in areas where they're in tight coverage. I think he has a good vertical game. And I think a lot of people think of the deep arm or the deep game, and they think throwing 45, 50, 55 yards down the field. But really most of the vertical game happens really at 30 to 45 yards. And I think he's really good in that range of the field. Um, and he's a player that – that I think intuitive, has a really intu good intuitive grasp of not only using his physical skills, but understanding the game situations and being able to apply what he can do in the situations that are sometimes unknowns. And, and I find that a, a really valuable quality that sometimes when we look at quarterbacks, we talk about quarterbacks as we look at all their parts and we're always analyzing them with their parts. And we talk about how valuable each of those different things are like, oh, you know, Kyle Murray has, you know, all pro level ability to scramble and he's got that huge, you know, vertical arm, you know, or Dwayne Haskins is really accurate in, you know, in terms of statistically what he does. But to me, sometimes the the parts don't equal the sum. And I think that and sometimes the sum is greater than the parts. And what I'm telling you is, is something that I've learned over about 15 years of study but what's funny is I just finally got Bill Walsh's book, The Winning Edge, and he writes about that. I just read about that this morning and just started <laughs> laughing because it's like 
when you study tape that long and you do it intensely, you start to figure out certain things. And it's funny to look at that and go, well, this is the coach's Bible. And here he is saying sometimes the sum of the parts doesn't equal the whole. Sometimes they're greater than the whole. You, you know, it's it, and I think Will Greer is one of those players where the sum of the parts is a little bit, you know, where the whole is a little bit greater than the sum of the parts. And so I think that if he gets a shot to to land in an offense that fits him and give him time to be able to develop a little bit like a year um, to be on the bench and work. I think he could be a surprisingly pretty good starter, you know, in this league. Do you think schematically, like the system would be a better uh, to to make him a better quarterback or like wide receivers? Do you think? It, sorry, that was that came off. No, confusing. no, that makes sense. No, that makes sense. It's like, is it? Would does he need to be in the right system, or does he need better receivers than what he it, has? Yes, thank you. That that's how a normal person would have asked the question. Well, well, you know, as someone who as someone who's tired most of the time, I I understand you completely because that's usually how I talk in my RSB foam room. So I love it. Um, <laughs> but, but um, I would say that for for him, he had receivers that certainly dropped the ball a fair bit, um, and they're college receivers. Some of them are supposedly you know are some of them are nfl draft prospects but i don't know how how high they're actually how good they're actually going to be some um, of them are just big high school kids some of them are some of them are really fast former quarterbacks things like that so i think he can i think he'll get a little bit of an upgrade with receivers but part of it too is always scheme because if he goes to a team that says you know what we're going to embrace what you do and we're going to spread the field and we're going to run things that like say the eagles do to, or what Matt Nagy does in Chicago, um, or what Andy Reid's done in in Kansas City, then he might be able to get off to a quicker start and and be able to absorb things a little bit faster. But if they're going to say we're going to run a traditional West Coast offense or a West Coast variant, um, or you know one where we're going to have you drop from center more often, we're going to have you do a lot more reading in a compressed area of the field and it's not spread out as much, and there's not as many quick hitting plays. Um, then it may take him a little bit more time, just like any other quarterback. So to me, it's a, it's going to be a combination of both things that he needs, um, you know, but if, but he's going to have upgraded receivers. I mean, there's, you know, he's going to go to the NFL. Right. He's going to have, you know, unless he goes to, unless he goes to a team that's just completely barren, you know, and, and banged up guys say he goes to Arizona and Larry Fitzgerald wasn't there and, and Josh Rosen wasn't there anymore, you know, then that might be a, a weird issue, but otherwise, yeah, I think it's a combo of both. Okay. Uh, so quarterbacks are getting some beef. This class is the other, the other group that is the running back is, do you think the running back group is justified in the hate that it's getting? Not, not so much hate, but you know, we've been teased and spoiled by all these good running back classes. Do you think this it's fair to downgrade these guys or is it just an effect of you know not having that saquon barkley that ezekiel elliott that kind of guy yeah i mean i think that part of it is is that this class is is getting this class is probably getting more um disrespect than it deserves i don't even know if disrespect is a strong is a, is a good enough word for that it's maybe too strong but 
it's it it tends to be it's a little bit underrated now because I think part of it is is that a lot of the dynasty community and a lot of the fantasy football community has embraced the idea that running backs don't matter, you know, which I would say a lot of that is that running backs matter less than they did before statistically, but they still matter. And one of the things that I think a lot of people miss out on when they look at their data is that they don't think about how it forces teams to play different coverages based on how good the running back is. Um, and once you have to play certain types of coverages or not play certain types of coverages, it makes your passing game a lot easier. Um, you tell me that, if, you know, if teams aren't going to, you know, there's certain coverages that teams will never play with Ezekiel Elliott. You know, it's just basically that's because they know that they, they need to stop him first and foremost. It's not a diss to, to Dak Prescott. Um, and it's, but when you look at this class, you know, there are guys that I think, could all be starters in this league, you know, this year and perform well. And I would say there's, there's at least, there's at least four or five guys that I think fit that, fit that um, range. Now there, but you have to look at just kind of the context is that people, people see the quality of last year's class, which to me was the best class I've ever graded in, in 15 years. And I've been, and I talked about that a lot last year. So if you're gonna if you're gonna weigh it against that class, yeah, of course it's gonna stink compared to that. Right. But if you're gonna weigh it with a realistic expectation and say, is it a good class or not? Then you're gonna say, yes, it's a good class. There are there are enough guys here that I would say it's it's on par with the 2016 class. I think the 2016 class, you know, and that's with guys like Fournette and McCaffrey and Cook. And I think that there are guys in this who may not give you that explosive element like McCaffrey and Cook or even Fournette, but in terms of all around skill, they're up there. And they're, you know, to me, the, you know, there's probably six to, there's six to 10, maybe even 12 to 15 backs who should be contributors in the league. And half of those guys could be every down starters. Um, you know, based on how early they can get in there and prove what they can do. Based on some of the things you, you, you said, you know, a few guys could be every down starters. I can't, I can't let you get away from that. Let me, let me get a couple of those names. Sure. LJ Scott is a great example of a guy who could be an every down. Whoa, 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 hold on. Yeah. Uh, You don't know this, but I'm a Michigan state season ticket holder. I love Michigan state. So (laughs) you have just, you just made my Christmas card list, my friend. (laughs) Well, that's funny, but, uh, but you know, um, I do. I, I he's a guy that I I watched a little bit of last year, and I didn't get a chance to really study him in depth. So when I studied him in depth earlier, you know, earlier in the winter, what I noticed is that this is a guy that has really good short area quickness. He can catch the ball very well, and he's someone that can run for power. He can change direction well. He has good vision. I think he has a complete game. And he reminds me, you know, I think a lot of people want to say he reminds him of Le'Veon Bell oh, and, all the time. And I hear that all the time. And I, and I can see that. I can certainly understand why people would say that. And I think he fits in that, that range of player. I would probably go a little bit more towards Matt Forte um, as a player that's kind of more in that range. Because until we see how well that quickness plays out, um, I don't know if I'm going to be willing to say He's the type of guy that can wait at the edge of a hole for an eternity and then right. turn it on and go through there. But Matt Forte, you know, there's some people might say they'd rather have Matt Forte than Le'Veon Bell. And 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 I can understand that. You know, they're both great um, backs in terms of skills. So Scott's one. 
I think Joshua Jacobs is a heck of a football player at Alabama. Um, you know, you look at what he can do as a receiver, as a blocker, and then as a runner, he's a very intelligent runner, um, runs with good balance. He's the type of guy that I've talked about that, you know, you, you never you, you never know how injury is going to be an issue in a player's career. Um, but if he can stay healthy for the bulk of his career, his career could have that kind of length that Frank Gore did because his game isn't about explosion to the extent that it's like when he loses a step that he's going to lose a lot. I think he's... I think he's the type of player that can deliver. Then we have guys like David Montgomery, who, I mean, you know, sometimes we've heard some people talk about him and say, oh, well, you know, ESPN hyped him up to the extent that he sounded like, you know, Gayer Sayers meets Jim Brown, you know, and, and Earl Campbell. and Like they do. Yeah, exactly. And so people are, there's kind of a backlash with that. But I think he's kind of a guy in the range of, think of, you know, think his ceiling could put him in a place like Maurice Jones, Drew, Ray Rice, Devonta Freeman, guys in that kind of range. Now, I don't know if he has that type of deep speed. It didn't look doesn't look like he really has like the the breakaway speed. But what he does has is extraordinary quickness, footwork, and change of direction skill. And he's he's a runner who can get yards through contact, which is you know to me very important. And he can catch the ball well. Um, so I think he's one of the most refined runners in this class. And then we haven't even touched upon guys like Devin Singletary, who, you know, to me reminds me of Ahmad Bradshaw. Um, and Ahmad Bradshaw was a guy that I think a lot of people are giving him more hype than that. But Ahmad Bradshaw is a guy that I think could have been a starter in the league for a while. Um, Rodney Anderson, if he can just stay healthy, the promise is there. And one of my favorites is Alexander Madison, who is a running back out of Boise State, who's about 5'11", 2'11". And while I was a real big fan of Jamal Williams um, a couple of years ago, you know, what we see with Jamal Williams is that he may not quite have had the burst to be a fit with a lot of systems to where they wanted to use him as every down back. But he's a guy that if you give him the ball 20 times, he can be an old school wear you down kind of starter for a run oriented team. I think if he were in Seattle or if he were actually had to be put in New Orleans, he could be, you know, he would be surprisingly good for this because of the offensive line, but because of the philosophy. And so I think Madison's a guy that could be more of what I hope to see out of Williams in terms of his physical abilities. Um, and so he's an interesting player. And, you know, I could probably give you several more just, and I won't even go into, I won't even go into like profiling, but like Justice Hill, Damian Harris, Bruce Anderson, Darwin Thompson, Jock Patrick, those are all guys that are, they're fascinating as well as Dexter Williams and Elijah Holyfield. So it's a deep running backs deep. Well, that's good. So you mentioned a lot of names and, and you mentioned Alexander Madison, but which one is, is Matt Waldman's favorite? Not maybe necessarily the best, but just the guy that you've enjoyed watching the most and breaking down the most in your, uh, in your process. It's probably Madison. And it's because he has been so smooth and so refined in terms of how he how he can set up creases. He can run different types of blocking schemes with facility. He catches the ball well, and he can carry the load. And he's a guy that is just as likely to try and you know lower the pads and get under hits and, and or run through wraps as he is to hurdle you. Um, and so he has a real versatility to his game that I like. It's almost like if if Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams went into like some sort of special science fiction machine and were blended together into one player, 
and and you got most of the best stuff from them um i would feel like alexander madison would be that guy and and maybe you know the Packer fans would be less frustrated with their backfield. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, 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 Jerry is a uh, a Lions fan, so uh, uh, their frustration be, is his, his frustration is, is, is th- joy th- for me. Things of legend and lore. <laughs> so th- th- this w- this wide receiver class is being you know hailed with the 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 fabled 2014 draft class, which is arguably the best wide receiver class of all time. And so is that a fair comparison? And uh, can you give us a little bit on these wide receivers? It's a good it's a good class, that's for sure. But I think part of the reason that it's being hailed that way, which is kind of ironic to me in a minute, and I'll explain why, but it's hailed that way, I think, is because a lot of the receivers in this class are big guys. You know, they're over six two, they're over two hundred and fifteen pounds, and everybody thinks that big receivers mean better receivers, even if that's been proven false, you know, for years now, since 2014, which was the class to kind of do it when Odell Beckham Jr., you, you know, turned out to be probably arguably one of the best receivers of that class. And a lot of people, there were a significant portion of people who thought he didn't meet the the requirements to ride the ride of the NFL as a, as a primary starter. Um, so it's funny that now this class is being compared to that because, I think the underlying thing is you have guys like Hakeem Butler, who's 6'6", 225, Calvin Harmon, 6'3", 214, Debo Samuels, the, a smaller receiver in this class at 6 feet 215. And then you still have guys like, you know, Miles Boykin, J.J. Arkega, Whiteside, Antoine Wesley, Preston Williams. You know, these are all guys over 6'3", and in the range of 210 to 220 pounds who can go up and win the ball in the air. But the, the past two classes haven't been shabby. At all, They're, they've delivered some really good guys who've started right away. When oftentimes some of these big guys, everybody always heralds, needs a year or two or three to actually get off the ground and be pretty good. So you know the NFL is changing, and and it just happens to be that this class has less of those you know slot outside hybrid guys like Cooper Cup or you know the kid out of, um, who's now with the Carolina Panthers more um, you know as or Dante Pettis you know guys who can play inside and outside but I'm a you know this is a good class and the guys that I mentioned are all you know big players who can win the ball in the air who can work downfield but also most of them can work in terms of being able to run timing routes and and run those hard breaks so that gives them promise to be able to run the full route tree. Um, but there's still good variety in this class too, um, because as you get beyond the guys like Butler, Harmon, Samuel, you, you know, Whiteside or Wesley, you know, you also have guys like AJ Brown or Penny Hart, um, Hunter Renfro, who are all very fascinating in terms of what they can do as slot players. Nikhil Harry could be a pretty good slot receiver. Andy Isabella is kind of a really fast guy along with Penny Hart. And then there's, there's guys who have a lot of physical promise who could go at really high, like DK Metcalf and Jalen Hurd, um, who is a converted running back who easily could have been one of the top 10 running backs in this class if he had stayed at Tennessee as a runner and decided that he didn't want to be a wide receiver, which he's converted pretty darn well. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's a guy that could emerge as an every down player at some point. Um as a wide receiver because he's learned some skills that are that are tough to do. He kind of looks like a Kenny Galladay type of player. 
Well, that's awesome. So you kind of already answered my next question. It was like with these physical monsters, we've seen over the last few years that wide receivers like Antonio Brown, Stephon Diggs, Tyreek Hill, uh, Odell Beckham, that seems to be the dominant receiver of the day. Do, do you see these guys um, changing some of that? Can this class be that good to where they are more red zone threats? Um, I don't think so. Um, I don't think it's going to change it, but it may give a little bit of compliment to, to what some teams need um, in, in the sense that, you know, teams spread the field, you know, and, and the only thing that I would say about it is unless teams decide that because defenses now are trying to accommodate or try to attack, you know, offenses and stop spread offenses, that suddenly five or six teams are going to say, you know what, we're going to do what Seattle did. We're going to do what New England does. And we're going to compress the field and we're going to run the old-fashioned football and we want big receivers who can block, big receivers who can create space for themselves and can in tighter areas where they don't need to have, you know, wide open field to operate. Then yeah, that could happen, but I just don't think it will. But there's a but you know guys like guys like Butler and um, you know Wesley Wesley can play in the slot. Butler could probably do that as well. But there are a lot of these guys who are quick enough. They're not big monsters who like who are slow or lack foot speed. So all it does is it does add the red zone element to it, but that's a big trust factor and reading the field type of factor that I don't know how much of that's going to be the case. There's maybe two or three guys here who their red zone ability as fade route runners will actually translate to what they do um, in the NFL and do the same way because oftentimes they get stifled early on by by much better cornerbacks. And you can see that even Julio Jones, you know, a lot of people talk about Julio Jones, you know, how great of a player he is. And he is, he's a fantastic route runner, but he's never been really a great fade route player. He doesn't really apply the principles of fade route running at the level that he should. And while people say, well, the problem's Matt Ryan, well, part of it may be in terms of red zone and part of it may have been the coaching staff, but you know, some of it has to go on Julio Jones too. And the fact that, you know, if you want to run slants to him, that's great. But if you want to run fades, go look at the Philadelphia game at the opener. And I've been watching the Falcons and covering them for football guys for about 10 years now. And I can tell you that, you know, Julio Jones is a great receiver, but he's not a great red zone receiver. I think his fantasy owners would admit to that. So here's the thing. This guy is getting he's getting some momentum in the in the fantasy community. And Honestly, I didn't really know much about him. We've had some guests. They like him. Matt, give me some insight on Greg Dortch. Is it is he worth all the hype he's getting, or is this just sort of the echo chamber? If someone starts talking about him, then they start talking about him. It just gets bigger and bigger. You know, it's interesting about Greg Dortch because, you know, when I look at his game, he doesn't rate very highly for me at, at this stage. You know, and, and certainly with receiver, there's a ton of them. There's a lot of variation in terms of what they can do and where they fit and how that works. And you can see as a slot receiver that he has potential. I mean, he certainly can get off the line of scrimmage against um, – he shows some potential to get off the line of scrimmage against press coverage. He certainly has the speed that everyone's looking for. And as a route runner, I mean, he's a guy that can give you – you know, someone who can sell you know, the vertical game and then be able to break back and find the open zone for you. I see him as a slot guy primarily who, when it comes down to 
what he has available in his game. I, I don't see anything of like unbelievably special qualities with him. And other than that, the athletic part is promising. And I think the thing is, is that a lot of people really project um, the athletic ability onto a player. And while they appreciate technical skills, they often say, well, he'll learn those. Those things will be taught. Those things will happen in an NFL camp. And frankly, that's just BS. It doesn't happen that way. You, you know, and it's like, it's not because those guys are lying or they don't know. It's just that you hope that it would happen, but these guys have to learn a lot of this stuff on their own. And, and so if a player doesn't have a certain level of technical refinement in a specific area of skills, when they enter the league, they're unlikely to acquire them once they get there. And I just don't think he's a guy that I see him as a, as a slot guy who may be able to give you a big play element to his game. And I have a little bit more to watch of him, but from, from, a you know, from about the half a dozen games of what I've seen thus far, um, he's a guy that seems more of a contributor to me than like the next coming. But I remember when people were big on guys like Jeremy McNichols, the running back out of Boise state. And it was because they were projecting Ray Rice, like, play from him because of his speed, but he didn't really understand how to use that in terms of um, running between the tackles. And he's a guy that has had trouble even sticking to a roster because he, he just doesn't have the, he hasn't had the mindset to, to, to play and diagnose things at a level that he should. So you're saying it's going to get worse when the combine comes and he does well there. Probably. Yeah. That's Yeah. <laughs> Probably. All right, I'm going to sneak one in because this guy's becoming one of my favorites since the Senior Bowl, and that's Terry McLaren out of Ohio State. Um, he had a, a a stock up week, if you will, down in Mobile. Uh, what are your thoughts on Terry McLaren before we move over to the tight ends? I like him, um, and so he's a player that when you look at what he does well, I mean, he's a good route runner. He's someone that can win the ball. He has good speed. He's a very good special teams player. And you put all that together and he has a chance to continue to, to develop. You have to understand that in certain certain teams in college football, they have so much depth with a player that if that player has a little bit of a better fit with the offensive scheme, you know, Paris Campbell is a is may not be as refined of a route runner. He's definitely not as refined of a route runner as Terry McLaren. Um, but you can understand that when you look at his skills to be able to make people miss in the open field, his downfield speed, the way he catches the football, that do you need a guy who runs a complete route tree if you're not going to run the complete route tree at Ohio State um, and you're and you're going to take advantage of giving a guy one-on-one -on -one in the open field? Well, that's going to give them the, uh, you know, really the, the weight to starting a guy like Paris Campbell instead of Terry McLaren. So... McLaren's a guy that I think could have a better NFL career than he does have a, uh, you know, college career at this stage. Like it. All right. Getting into the tight ends. Here's the thing, Matt. I've been hearing about Noah Fant for years as a Debbie player. Is he the goods? And also his teammate, TJ Hawkinson, as someone that has to listen to sports talk radio in Detroit, they are talking about taking this dude at eight. Is that crazy or am I crazy for thinking that's crazy? Um, you're crazy for thinking it's crazy. I would take that guy if I – he is probably one of my three most highly rated players in this class um, at this at the skill positions. This guy's the goods. He um, He's such a good blocker 
that he's someone that can can really deliver every kind of block for you. He will develop probably a little bit more to even hold up against actual NFL defensive ends and edge players in a in a pretty good way. Um, and that's saying something considering that he's pretty much dominates a lot of guys in the Big Ten already who are at those positions. So you've got that. But then on top of it is, yeah, he's a smooth route runner. He can win the ball in the air. He breaks tackles. He's fluid in the open field. Honestly, if I were to compare having Fant or Hawkinson, I would pick Hawkinson eight days a week as opposed to Fant. And Fant is a good player. He's kind of more of a Jordan Reed-like player if Jordan Reed didn't quite have his hands together in a way that he needed to. You know, to me, it's kind of like, you know, think about Quincy Inunua. Quincy Inunua as a, as a wide receiver and with the Jets, you see flashes of him being really good and and you can see the athletic promise and you're like, wow, that this guy's just like this far away from really being something. And um, then you forget about him for a month. Yeah, exactly. Then you forget about him for a month. And part of it was is this is a guy that's had to drill on catching the ball with his hands because at Nebraska, I've often talked about that, you know, you, when you try and catch a ball high, you want your hands kind of in a web like that. When you catch the ball low, you kind of want your pinkies together and your hand together like that or reaching out, doing those types of things. And you thought that oftentimes with Quincy Inunua, he was doing like interpretive dance sometimes when he was trying <laughs> to catch the football. And so he really worked hard with the Jets on with a jugs machine to get the idea of when the ball's up here, I got to have my hands up here. When the ball's down here, I got to have them down here. And with Fent, he fights the ball a bit. So he has some of those issues of where from like the the waist to the chest level of where he, just, he should he goes at the ball awkwardly. Yes. Okay. And so he ends up double catching or dropping the football. He's an okay blocker. He's an Iowa kid, so he's got to block somewhat all right, you know. But he's he's an okay blocker. He's just not on the level of Hawkinson. I think in a lot of classes he would be the top guy. Um and I think that's probably why he got so much hype early because all those guys who have to come up with, you know, rankings before they've actually studied the players in depth um, that they have to do every year because big media demands that they they look at him and go, well, he's going to be in the conversation. So let's put him up near the top because he's an athlete. He's good. And then they discover the subtlety of these other players. And there's plenty of them. And he drops down a little bit further to me. In fact, he's not even in my top five. And that's because this class is good, not because no offense bad. And let's forget about uh, tight end university. It used to be Miami with the Hurricanes, with uh, Jeremy Shockey and Kellen Winslow Jr. Now it seems to be Iowa with Greg Kittle and uh, now now these two guys. But who are, who are your favorite non-Iowa tight ends? Yeah, I mean, Irv Smith is certainly a really strong name to, to add to that equation. At 241 pounds, he seems kind of light for a tight end and kind of fits in that Jordan Reed spectrum in terms of size. But he might be the he might be one of the two to three best blockers of the top tight ends in this group. He's someone that that like Hawkinson really understands technically what to do, and he can he knows how to throw a punch. He knows how to move people. He can execute a variety of different blocks. So he's going to be helpful right away. He's not just a guy you're going to stick on the backside of formation and run away from him. Um, so he's he's going to be helpful there, and he's a smooth athlete who can run down the field and get open and make plays. So Kind of like you, you know our man in in Tampa Bay who got hurt last year, um, former Alabama player. I can't remember his name off my bat for off the bat right now. OJ. Yeah. That's right, OJ. That's right. So OJ Howard, 
OJ Howard, kind of like that. He wasn't used a ton in the way that his receiving skills merited, but he has them. So that's a guy that's really good. I think um, you know, a lot of love is being given to Jay Sternberger and out of Texas AM, and I think he deserves it. He's a he's a good blocker who's only going to get better. He reminds me of a university of Miami tight end, Greg Olson. I think that he can develop into a seam stretcher who can win the ball in the air, and he's fluid enough to be able to get yards after the catch. And then there's you know, there's Dawson Knox, who I think is going to test out the roof at the at the combine. And I think a lot of people are going to get a little bit more excited about him and then talk about the lack of production that he had because, you know, people misunderstand, I think, the important the context and importance of how production actually works in terms of m- making a prospect good or bad. And maybe he didn't have the have the production, but when you look at the reps that he got and how he performed with them, he's a pretty good receiver. I don't, you know, I don't have any issues with him as a receiver. He reminds me of another university of Miami guy funny to mention is Jeremy Shockey. So I think that he has that kind of, that kind of style. He can be an every down guy and a guy that, that I think was probably the most promising, you know, um, skill player outside of quarterback at West Virginia. Wasn't their wide receivers, but it's their former quarterback turned tight end Trevon Wesco, 6'4", 274 pounds. And this is a guy that can really block, you know, for a former quarterback used to be 200 pounds and to go to community college and then go through the Juco circuit and come out here and be 274 and move the way he moves and to be able to get up and down the scene. He had a really good senior bowl practice week, catches the ball. Well, very fluid can run and break tackles and hurdle over people. He, he isn't this guy, but his style is similar to if he had the same kind of um, athletic ability, his his style makes him similar in the neighborhood of Rob Gronkowski. But I would say if if we're going to say he's like Rob Gronkowski, then he'd be like the, ho- the house next door. He's more like the house down the street. He's still in the neighborhood. He's still on the street, but he's not a guy that you would you would just make that instant connection to and walk next door and say, we're going to replace him in New England with, with Trevon Wesco. No, but maybe in a few years you might look at it and go wow that was a good pick he's a he, he's a good receiver and he's a productive player well jerry uh we're, we're coming up on that time do you have any more questions you want to slide in real quick before we let matt uh move on about his day yeah i got two quick ones that i had uh, a couple guys on twitter ask me if you could talk about daryl henderson a little bit uh he was worried that he had a bad interior offensive line and he thought that impacted his game do you think that's true, and could he be more explosive in the NFL with better talent around him? And then the other one is, who's this year's Philip Lindsay? And I think he means, you know, one of these guys that might be smaller or slower that could go undrafted and still blow up fantasy wise. Sure, sure. What's about Daryl Henderson is that certain running backs are better in some schemes than others. Think about Marlon Mack. Marlon Mack, if you put him in an outside zone scheme or an inside zone scheme. He probably would not see the light of the lineup. Um, he's just not that real good in those that areas of his game. But if you say, listen, you have one choice, and that choice is to follow that big guy pulling across the center and to hit that hole as fast as you can and get whatever you can out of that. And if you get into the open field, well, then you know, you do your thing. He's going to be a borderline starter to a good starter in the league. And you saw that this year behind the Colts offensive line that's improved and runs a gap style scheme. Um, Daryl Henderson, I think, would help a team better as a gap option 
um, most of all. So he's going to need the right fit. He, I think he can run outside zone, but I think he's a little bit more comfortable in a scheme where he only has one choice to make. And when you can ask him to do that, and you and it's it's more of a it's a much bigger onus on the offensive line. Zone is much bigger onus on the diagnostic skills of the running back. Gap is the onus is saying we've got the athletic guy. We just we need you guys as the line to create this one crease so that we can really exploit this guy's quickness. So I think Harold, you know, Henderson reminds me of guys like, you know, like a you know, people won't like it, but Donald Brown of, of Indianapolis. I mean, I think there's a little bit of a Donald Brown type of skill set to his game. I know some people think he's a special player. I haven't seen that yet. Um, I don't I don't think he's quite there, but I think he can be a helpful player and maybe even a starter behind a really strong team. Um, and then who's the guy that could emerge, you know, and and be be someone on that level? My favorite small back who runs with, with bigger size, who's not let well known, and I've talked about him before, but I'll mention him again, is Darwin Thompson out of Utah State. Um, I think this guy at 5'8", 200 pounds, he's an, he could have been an Olympic quality um, power lifter. That's how strong this guy is. And he has that, you can see it in his lower body. He's very explosive. He's someone that can change direction well, but he also runs for surprisingly good power through contact at all three levels of the defense at the college game. I don't think you're going to expect him to do that at the pro game with the same level of um, frequency, but he can catch the ball. Well, he's smart between the tackles. He has that deep speed you're looking for. I think of him as a kind of a Duke Johnson, Chase Edmonds, Austin Eckler type of player with a little bit more potential to be an every down guy. And I'm, you know, as much as Philip Lindsay played well this year, he's going to be playing in a scheme that may be more favorable to Royce Freeman. And I remember when, uh, who was the name of the guy that I was just thinking of? Steve Slayton out of West Virginia. Light, really quick, played in a spread system, played for the Houston Texans, had a rookie of the year caliber Pro Bowl year. And then basically Arian Foster showed up because um down the line and we never heard about philip Lindsay after a brief little stint in miami and a couple other teams and i and i i don't know philip Lindsay's going to go that route but he's a guy who you know messed up his his wrist pretty badly and it's going to prevent him from being able to to really work at his game in the way that first to second year players do and i really liked how he ran the football but there are limitations to his game and and I'm not sure how much he's going to be able to get to address them from year one to year two. And with a guy like Freeman breathing down his neck, who, you know, was not a bad player. When people talk about yards after contact, you know, he was pretty high up there from the sample size that he, that he had last year. So he might end up being a better fit. So, but a guy like Thompson, he's a guy that he, if he's not added to the combine or wasn't a part of the combine, I think he'll surprise people as a late round pick and, develop into a, an interesting player love it ladies and gentlemen he is matt waldman he releases the matt waldman rookie scouting portfolio about once a week although he's had weeks where he's dropped multiple episodes so look again look for that on itunes stitcher podbean etc all those type places you can find him everywhere and then april 1st uh, matt can you pre-order now you can pre-order now, so you can get that, and it's you get a password um, and login so that you can download um, at you know when it's available and announced to you by email or on Twitter. 
Well, so make sure you, uh, he'll be tagged in lots of tweets about the show, so you can just go over to his Twitter handle, and you can find some of that stuff tagged in his, uh, his link in his bio. So, Matt, on behalf of Jerry, thank you so much for jumping on with us for a little bit. We are uh, Dynasty nerds, we're Dynasty junkies, and we are super excited about rookie season, and I can't thank you enough. Jerry, anything to add? Uh, while Matt was just making that last little bit on Royce Freeman, Randy texted me and said, I'm buying Royce Freeman. So if that says anything, <laughs> I, I, I've been buying all along. Um, I, I did, I, I really enjoyed this, the, the Steve Slayton comparison. Um, you know, I, I think people also forget that I thought was it shortly thereafter, he lost Kyle Shanahan as his offensive coordinator and then Arian Foster and, uh, I think it was Kubiak came in and when when those type of things change in dynasty and and that's what Lindsay and freeman are dealing with uh the coaching staff from last year in denver is gone and we and and i think his name is nick sangello the the new offensive coordinator in denver uh who came over from the 49ers of all places we don't know what that's going to look like and to to matt's point it's very astute in that philip Lindsay cannot take ota work he cannot take minicamp work because of his wrist injury so yeah jerry i did text you that i am buying royce freeman and uh but matt thank you so much we will make sure to tag you and everything along the way and i uh, can't wait for this year's rookie scouting portfolio hey thanks so much randy jerry it was enjoyable once again to have a conversation with you guys and and may your uh, draft season go well for you thanks matt